guys doing good? All right. I don't ever do this. So I'm going to do this so I don't say I never do this. Three, was it three Sundays ago, Jonathan preached, and he preached about moving forward in life. All right? Awesome message. If you haven't listened to it, if you haven't heard it, it's, it's amazing. It's like so easy to apply to your life. He breaks it down. It's like perfect. So if you want to move forward in life, get Jonathan's CD. They're back there on the table. There's one here. You can go to the website and listen to it. Then I followed him up with four key stages of growth the very next week. Kind of went along with the theme. Talked about four stages of growth. Same thing there. Won't talk much about that. Then last week, Belinda mentioned it, but Matt did another awesome job about how to measure our growth and success, heavenly success on the earth. Like, instead of measuring our success by earthly standards, measuring them by kingdom standards. And again, a home run, knocked it out of the park, get the CD, listen to it. This one is from Wednesday night. We don't very often, we record, I think, everything, but we don't always put a Wednesday night on the podcast. But who was here Wednesday? I know there's a pretty good amount of people here Wednesday. You have to get this if you weren't here. Um, I, as a matter of fact, I was telling Matt, I was like, dude, I'm tempted to just put it in and play just because it was for our house. It's called Stewards of Freedom. And we, just to tell you kind of what it's about, um, I'll tempt myself to preach it again. I was telling Matt, but I don't, I don't know what all I said. I don't have notes for it, and it would scare me. But anyway, here, here's the principle. God's been revealing to us that when His Spirit comes, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And as a church, we've been on a journey of discovering that the kingdom is not about regulation. It's not about restriction. It's about actually bringing freedom to people. And so we've been on that journey as a church for the last three and a half years of what is freedom? What does it mean? How can I be more free? And then we could, if we weren't careful, miss the other side of freedom, and it's the responsibility side of it. That we don't like to talk about a whole lot, and, and it's so critical because... Basically, what the Lord will do is He sets us up to succeed. Did you guys know that God grades on a curve? If, you know, back in school, the highest grade on the test was an 80. What did the teacher do? They curved it up and made the 80 the new 100, right? And so everyone's grade was bumped up 20 points. So if you made a 67, you made an 87. Good job. Way to go. And so they grade on a curve because they want the class to do well. They want them to pass. They, they don't want to make it too hard. And God grades us on a curve. He wants you to succeed. So here's what happens. He says, I can trust you with this. And he gives it to us. Here you go. I give you this. It's yours. Steward it. Manage it. And I can grow that. If I steward it well, it will not. If he gives me this much territory and I do really well with that much territory, he, he will increase my territory. And say, oh, you can grow and you can steward this. If I don't steward this territory, my decisions, not God, my decisions will take the boundaries of my freedom and restrict it to what I can manage. One thing, that, there's a personal testimony. We had a house fire. Insurance gave us a big check to pay for all the stuff that went wrong. How many knows that anytime you have something like that happen, you find ways to save money and you get stuff that you weren't going to get before? You fix everything you need to fix, and you're like, hmm, we can set a little bit aside for, you know, flat screen TVs, which we've never had, or whatever it is, to get rid of those big, nasty TVs. And so we had a big check come in from, from Allstate, and it was a lot of it was excess. Like, man, we, there was no way we we're going to spend all this money to fix all the stuff going on, right? 
So we, we didn't replace all the clothes that had smoke damage. We're like, man, we didn't need those clothes. We don't need this. We don't need that. Please, hopefully no one from all states listening, you know, sneaking in, private, spying on my phone. I know you hear me, all state, government, <laughs> the big brother, you know. Anyway, um, so we were like, oh, let's, let's do some things that we normally wouldn't do. Let's buy a TV here. Let's buy something for the kids here. And before you know it, the big check was gone. Nobody's ever done anything like that before. What I did was we had a really bad situation, which God says he makes all things work for our good. We had a really bad situation, and God blessed us in the bad situation and gave us increase. But in our heart, we didn't steward the increase very well. So our decisions reduced our big check down to what we were normally used to managing. It, it, we, we use this with money a lot, but if you say, man, I just don't make enough money, I need a raise. No, you don't, because when you get a raise, what you will do is you will add something to your finances that will put you exactly back in the same place you were. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? Unless we say, Lord, you've given me a new boundaries. You've given me new freedom. You've expanded my territory. Help me to steward this well. I don't want to go back to that, that place before. It's too small. This place is too small for me. Right? But here's the deal. It's God's grace that allows our, our, our decisions to shrink back what we can manage. Because he doesn't want to grade me on this if I can only manage this. Because he wants you to succeed. So if you're in a situation right now, this is what all Wednesday night was all about, and you don't like it, there's a way to get out of it. Steward your freedom well. And you will have, he will give you whatever you want to whatever measure you can handle. The, what determines it is my ability to steward it well. So get that. It's just, it's just good. It's a good word for our church. Amen. I don't want to just talk about the freedom and then just waste God's freedom. Like it was so valuable to him that it cost his son's blood to give me freedom and liberty. I don't want to throw it away because I'm immature or make bad decisions. So that's, that's free. That's Everybody good? All right, we can go home. Yeah, whoa. I was going to make a joke like like a, a different denomination. We get out in one hour, you know. What, what's going on here? We just can't go past that, that clock. Thank you all for seriously being patient and letting us go forward on Sunday. This is really our main service. We don't have anything else on Sunday night, so thank you. I know sometimes it may, it may be like, oh, man, it's 1 o'clock or 105, 110. Um, sometimes it won't be like that today, probably, but thank you for being patient. It makes, makes it easier for whoever's speaking. They don't have to worry, like, oh, people are just going to get up and start walking out. Um, all right. You guys okay? I'm going to go into something that's completely new for me. Um, just the Lord gave me this, this uh, thought just not even a week ago, and I'm going to jump into it if you want to. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus didn't mess around when he got his first sermon. <laughs> He'd have been waiting for 30 years to, to give out what was in his heart. And the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, you know, 4, 5, 6, 7, right in there, he just let us, let it all go. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. He let us have it, right? I mean, he hit everything he could think of. 
It, it was like when I was at the other church, I, w- I got to speak to the youth all the time, but it was only every now and then I would get to speak to the adults. And I thought I had a lot to tell the adults, you know. But so, so when it was my time to speak to the adults, I had like pages of notes of things that I've been wanting to say for months, you know. And, and uh, it didn't always go well because it wasn't necessarily what they needed to hear, but I had to say it, you know. <laughs> this is not how Jesus was, although he wanted to get all this off of his chest. So um, we'll see where this goes. There, hopefully there's a thought that we can make a connection to, and it'll reproduce um, his way of thinking inside of us today. So, Lord, uh, I just want to say thank you for all that you're doing and all that you've done. I thank you for your faithfulness to every person here. Like, you have been more faithful than the, the morning sun, than the setting sun. You have been more faithful than than anything in our life. You have been the constant, and we just love you, and we know that your name is Faithful One. Why don't you just say that? You're Faithful One. (laughs) And so, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to teach us and show us. We ask that you would reveal to us your nature and the way you think and retrain us, reshape our thinking so that we can line up according to your thinking so that we can be what you said we would be. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This is kind of part of a series of thought that I, that we may jump into in the next few weeks. But um, I want to kind of call it stepping into the more of God. And he wants us to burn for the long haul. Like, do you know what I mean when I say we say stuff like that in church, like it sounds real cool and, and spiritual. God wants you to burn for him. What do we really what do we really mean by that? You know, you got one size is if you don't love God, you're going to burn in hell. And then you got the other side saying, you've got to burn for God. Like, dude, what's the deal with burning? What does it mean? <laughs> uh, but burning for God just means that my heart is on fire. It's passionate for Him. It means that I, my heart literally longs for Him. It means like when I think about God, I want more of Him. Like I, I just want to devote myself to Him and, and, and surrender. And that's what we mean by it. And it's not a, like a, a one-time feeling and I'm good from now on. It's every day. I want to burn more and more for him. It's like, yesterday was great, God, but I know there's more of you today, and I have to have more of you. I don't want to sound like I'm not thankful, because I'm very thankful, God, but I know there's more. I know there's more. There are more layers to you, and there's more available to me, and I have to have it. That's what I mean by, by burning for him, and, and God wants to make us his burning ones. I guess it was Smith Wigglesworth who said that he just wanted to... to be on fire for God and everyone come watch him burn. Just burn for God and let everyone see what God can do when one person turns their heart towards him. See, God's not looking for a, um, a thousand, a million, um, a billion people to change the world. He's just looking for one person, one woman, one man to say, hey, I'll burn for you, God. And that one person can turn the whole world upside down. You know, even the disciples, the Bible says they were ignorant. They were foolish men. They weren't smart. They didn't have education of the times. They were really just common people. But whenever they came to the towns and acts, they said, those that have turned the world upside down have come here too. And God wants, wants that for every one of us. It's, it's not an impossible thing. You don't have to be a superstar Christian, a superstar believer to change the world that you live in. God doesn't want those superstar people where, where we promote and have the PR teams and you know, every, every sermon has to have the 140 character bites so you can put it on Twitter or Facebook and be quoted. And God doesn't care about that. God, God wants people to just burn for him. And when, when we're around people and we burn for God, people will notice it. People will sense it. People will feel it. And so 
my heart is, and I love this, I heard this years ago. Um, someone said, you can burn over a summer camp. You can burn over a year of your life through Christian college or whatever it is. But come to me in 30 years and tell me you're still burning. Come to me in 40 years and tell me you're still burning. Come to me and your grandkids are burning for God, you know. And that's really what we're here for. We're in this for the long haul. Um, this isn't a, a stage of our life where we're Christians. Do you know that? Like, I want to say that because I've been in church my whole life. That's, that's all I know. You want to put me out working a construction site? I'm going to look like an idiot. I can stand there, you know, and do that job or wave the flag or hold the stop sign. But doing all that, I just, I don't know that stuff. All I know is church. That's where I was raised. And so I've seen so many waves of people give their heart to the Lord. And then now I don't know where they're at. And now they're not serving God. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. This is supposed to be a lifetime thing. And not just for my lifetime, but the lifetime of my blood. <laughs> where every person in my family lineage follows God and burns for God. And that's what we're here for. And it's possible. Like, we say things like that. And sometimes people think, oh, that's okay for you or that's okay for someone else. But I can't do that. Yeah, you can. You're like, man, but I'm the worst sinner in this room right now. No, we're all sinners. <laughs> We've all messed up, right? You're not the worst. And here's the deal. The worst sinner in the world, all they have to do to start moving towards God is one little thing. And that's called progress. <laughs> Just to turn around like, oh, man, I'm doing horrible. Get off that road and get on the right road. And you're doing so good in all of heaven. We'll cheer you. Even though all you did was say, I'm going to stop doing this thing or whatever it is. That's all it takes. It's just a little turning towards the Lord. So don't think this is like some pie-in-the-sky Christianity that's too hard for you. I don't want you to ever hear that or feel that from, from what we speak here in the message of this house and feel like it's too hard for you or you can't do it. It's not. It's absolutely possible for every one of us, every one of us to burn for God. Amen? So let's, let's get into this. And, and um, just it's really just one thought, but here, here it is. Matthew 5, I'm going to start with verse 17, okay? And I'm going to go through verse, uh, I, don't, I don't know how it's broken down here, but I'm going to start in verse 17. <clears throat> it says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Everyone say fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from this law until it is all accomplished. And whoever uh, then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches these, he will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> For I say to you, oh, this is such a slap in the face right here, these words. I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into heaven. We're going to stop right there, okay? He, he's, he's telling them, okay, you see their, their level of burning and their understanding of me and my law? Unless you're burning and unless your passion goes beyond what they do, you won't even enter into the kingdom of heaven. Pretty uh, tough, huh? And then it goes on down, and, and forgive me for not knowing the verses on here. I, I'm, not, I'm not open into the Bible, but... It goes on down and it says, For you have heard the ancients say, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder will be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is guilty 
of murder. He's saying, you have always heard this. After he, he says, look, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of this law, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, you have always heard, don't kill your neighbor, don't kill somebody. But I tell you this, if in your heart you're angry with someone, you've already committed this, the, the spirit of murder is already in your heart. He says, and if you say to your brother, you're a fool, you're good for nothing, then you will be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool will be guilty enough to go to hell. Grace is easier, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Then it goes on down. It says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have already committed the spirit of adultery. <laughs> oh, man. That's going down. You have heard the ancients tell you, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows before the Lord. But I tell you, don't make any oath. He's saying don't swear. He's like, when you give someone your word, don't say, I swear I'm going to do this. I swear on my mother's grave I'm going to do this. He said, don't do that. And this is my version. He says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. When you say you're going to do something, you don't need to add anything to it. You're going to do it. And when you say you're not going to do something, you don't have to say, God, I swear I'm never going to do this again. Just don't do it again. Are you guys okay? You're like, oh, God, where are we going with this? <laughs> and then he goes on and he says, you have also heard it said. So, man, he, he opens up a can on everybody and says, you've heard all of this stuff. And I'm telling you, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And the only way that you can enter into the kingdom that, that, that is on its way, that's right here at hand, is for you to surpass the righteousness and understanding of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. You have to surpass what they do. Your righteousness has to be beyond that. But he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You have learned that your whole life. It's the law. It's the law of Moses. You have heard this, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other one. Man. All right, let's go one more. Just for fun. You have also heard it said. And he, he had some sacred cows that he'd been storing up ready to destroy these thoughts. You heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He's saying basically, you've grown up in a society where if another nation didn't love Jehovah God, you killed them and hated them. You guys with me? <laughs> but I say to you to love your enemies, to pray for the ones that persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you get? That's such a good thought. If I love those that are really good to me and nice to me, what reward do I get? He, he goes on and he says, even tax collectors do the same. And he used them because everyone hated them. He's like, even tax collectors love people that are nice to them. So if you do it, then you're not doing any more than they are. He says, don't even the Gentiles do this? Therefore, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. All right, what does all this mean? How's, what does this have to do with burning for God? 
He came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. And I hope, I hope that this, this drives the point home. Jesus fulfilled it at the cross. How many believe that? Like when Jesus gave his life and gave his blood, the, 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 the hunger, the appetite of the law was fulfilled. The law required death. Do you guys understand why there's a big difference between the old covenant and the new? Like a lot of people are stuck in the judgment side and say, hey, God still wants to bring judgment on the earth and this and that. Hey, there will be a day of judgment. Okay, there will be a day of that. But the appetite for judgment was fulfilled on the cross in Jesus Christ. He was that sacrifice. So every year when the the priests and and when they would offer these sacrifices before God, it was never enough. They would have to come back again and offer another sacrifice. And that lamb wasn't enough. And they would have to come back and offer another sacrifice. The appetite, the craving uh, in the law was never fulfilled. But when Jesus came, the appetite of the law said, okay, enough. This was the best sacrifice ever. We don't need anything else. Once and for all, the payment, the penalty for sin is paid for at the cross. And now everyone can go free. Captives and prisoners. Captives and prisoners. Prisoners are those that did something wrong and they're in jail because they deserved it. And he set them free. Captives are those that were victims that were put in prison by someone else's hand. And he let them go free too. All at the cross. Jesus did it all. And he didn't do all of that. He didn't fulfill the law at the cross just so he could say, hey, look what I did. You guys, stick with me. We're going somewhere. It's really important. He didn't do all of that so that Jesus could say, hey, look at me. Look what I did. How, how awesome I am, even though we need to do that. That's not why he did it. He did it so that you and I can do the same thing. Okay, I think we missed the punchline there. He did it so that you can do it. He did it so that I can do it. See, when Jesus said, you've heard this said, but now I'm telling you this, he was showing them how to fulfill the law. What we have done in Christianity is made more laws. We've made more laws. Hey, you need to tell them they can't do that. And you need to tell them that they can't do this. And you need to, I mean, we've even had conversations recently with people and they're like, well, you've got to tell them the truth. Okay, the truth for someone who doesn't know God at all is God loves you. It's a big net. <laughs> you don't need to know that you're, you're, you know, in adultery and you shouldn't be shacked up. You don't need to, you don't need to hear any of that. The real truth that they need to hear is God loves you and thinks about you all the time. And he wants to be close to you, wants to be in a relationship with you. That's all they need to hear. As we make the choice to come closer to him, that's when he starts saying, oh, by the way, let's work on that. And as we come a little closer, he's like, oh, by the way, remember that thing you did the other day? Don't do that again. And then you get a little closer, and he says more and more. And before you know it, you're like, wow, I'm not doing tons of things that I used to do that were horrible. And now I'm doing tons of things that I never thought I would be doing. The Christian, what is this? I'm praying. I'm reading a Bible. I don't even like to read. You know, all of a sudden... You're, you're being nice, you're being generous to people and, and handing out waters as you drive down the road or whatever it is, you're like, man, who am I? Who, who is this? You, you've turned into something and it wasn't because someone said, you need to do this. You need to, someone said, hey, here's the truth. Here's a big, a big net. Let's catch as many fish as we can catch. And then Lord, you can take care of all of that as we go, right? 
But for some reason in Christianity, we, we, get, we get in through grace, and then we want to make it hard on everyone else. Because we've sacrificed so much, why should they get in for free? Well, look at what I have to do to stay close to you and maintain my relationship, God. All they have to do is show up on Sunday. Am I telling the truth? And it's like, we start comparing what I can do and what they can do and what's okay. And all of a sudden, we get into this law thing again. And what we forget is Jesus fulfilled the appetite of the law. And he, he, he really started digging on it. Listen to me. It wasn't the not committing adultery that was the, the thing that he thought was wrong now. It was the thought. It was the inner life. It wasn't the the committing murder of somebody. It was the spirit of anger inside. So when he says, I didn't come to abolish this law, the law is, I mean, Paul, the law is perfect. It's beautiful. Even though it has its, its frailties in it, even though it's, it's not as awesome as the new covenant, it's still beautiful. Jesus didn't want to just get a, get away from the law. He wanted to make it possible to do it. So he was revealing to us in all these statements, you've heard this said, but I'm telling you, if you want to keep away from that, you take care of your inner man. You take care of what's going on inside. You, you need your spirit, your mind, and your body to sync up with the way that I'm thinking so that if you can think right and if you can have the internal thought processes, the right kind of thought processes, you won't ever commit murder, this horrible thing that you think horrible. You won't commit adultery. You won't, you won't uh, you know, do all these things that are listed here because you'll be maintaining your spirit, man. You'll be maintaining your thought life. And by doing that, you'll also be living a life of freedom through Christ where you're also fulfilling the law. The Bible says the letter kills, but what brings life? Say again. The Spirit brings life. Everyone say it with me. The letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. Okay? The Bible says that the law of the Spirit, alive in Christ Jesus, has set me free from the law of sin and death. You guys know the first one. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the, there is a law of the Spirit. You guys okay? This is like, look, I think theological stuff is really important. I do. Because if I have a horrible theological foundation in the way the, the way God operates, I can't, it's the, it's the key. It's the operating system that makes this whole computer work. If, if, the, if the operating system's bad, if my view of God and my view of the law and my view of grace is all twisted up, then I'm going to have these weird things, anomalies in my Christian life that don't seem to add up. And we're like, why is this? And why? Well, somewhere we've got it mixed up. Let's rewire. Let's fix the circuit board. And that's what the Lord's doing today. I want you to hear this. All of the outward things that we think are okay or not okay and all the stuff that are on our list, we all have our own list, right? Some of our lists are different than others. Like, oh, this is okay, that's okay, this is okay, that's okay, right? Forget all that. You've heard it said, don't this, don't do that, don't do, but I say, if you will keep your spirit man right, if you will take control of your thought life, 
you won't ever have to worry about all those things on your list. By controlling the spirit, man, by taking the mind of Christ and allowing it to become your mind, your thoughts, you will access the law of the spirit and you will be set free from the law of sin and death. They will have no claim, no hold to you because the law of the spirit will come alive inside of you and spirit gives birth to spirit and his words are spirit and life. Amen. And this is what the Lord's trying to say through this. I was reading this and it just jumped out at me. You've heard it said, but I'm telling you this. The Lord wants to sink our spirit, mind, and our body. He wants us to think completely differently. What's the point of all this? What's the point? He transforms all of us or ultimately none of us. That's the whole point. I can't get away from that, that message right now. It's, it's somehow going to get worked in every time I speak, wherever I speak. That God either changes and transforms all of us or ultimately none of us. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Everyone say, it's huge. <laughs> you got to say it just like I did there. You got to stutter a little bit. <laughs> There's nothing off limits to him. That may look differently for me than you or you and the person next to you. But when I tell God, God, there's nothing off limits. Do whatever you need to do. That's, that's a beautiful thing. And no one else has to tell you what it is. And I'm all for personal responsibility. I'm all for accountability. You guys believe that? But accountability is not me standing here or you telling your wife, I'm going to hold you accountable to this. Accountability is when you tell someone else, I would like for you to hold me accountable in this area. I'm giving you permission to speak into me. Accountability isn't sought from, from the leader. Accountability is sought from the son or the daughter. It's about positioning myself as a son or daughter. And so I'm all about accountability. But I don't want to hold you accountable to something that you and God didn't work out. <laughs> It's not my place. It's not the church's place to hold you accountable to something that you and God haven't worked out. Does that mean that there, there will be things that the church says, hey, we need to do this, and you're going to be like, I don't want to, and, and you just like, you didn't have a conversation with God about it? Yeah, it's possible. It happens every now and then, you know, with all of us. It may take us a little time, but the, the church's role is to equip, is to encourage, is to empower people. Right? Your role as, a, as the church, as the body of Christ, is to stay in connection to him, to listen to his voice, to protect your relationship with him at all costs. If you really want to burn for him for your whole life, it's going to take sacrifice. Now, this isn't the message I would go down in downtown Dallas and preach from, the, from my soapbox. You want to serve God, it's going to take sacrifice and pain and suffering. What a horrible way to introduce people into the kingdom. But when you grow up a little bit, you need a steak, you know, no more milk. I, this is horrible, but I have to quote because it's just to honor my dad. It's fun. He's like, I don't mind, you know, serving milk. I just don't like parting whiskers to put the nipple in. <laughs> I was like, oh, so gross. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you, you start growing a beard. Somebody needs some steak and some potatoes, right? 
I never thought I would ever say that. When I was a kid or a teenager, I was like, dude, what is he talking about? <laughs> oh, my God, did you hear Dad? I will never say something like that. <laughs> and then you get old, and you don't have any of your own material, so you steal other people's. <laughs> oh, man. It's true, though. Milk is good, but steak is better. I like steak. Get a steak after service. Put it on the grill. I want to cook my own though, because no one else can do it like I can. No, I'll quit. <laughs> but God wants us to burn for Him, and it does take sacrifice. That's the sponge. Everybody okay? John 3.34. John 3.34. The end of the verse says, He gives us His Spirit without measure. I want everybody to say that with me. He gives us His Spirit without measure. And the question, the obvious question to follow that is, Who determines how much of Him we get? We do. All right, let's close with this thought. So if we determine how much of God we get, how do we determine how much we get? Here's the answer. How big of a sacrifice are you willing to put on the altar? How big of a sacrifice are you willing to give to the Lord? It's a tough question. Because I've found through most of my life when it regards a sacrifice it comes from my heart when it when it's obedience it comes from God's heart I want you to hear this I, I, I want you to hear this this is so important when I feel like I need to do something for the Lord and give him an offering a sacrifice it's something that comes from my affection and my love for him it's birthed from my desire to please Him and to bring honor to Him. And so a sacrifice comes from how much I feel and love and burn for Him. Obedience, on the other hand, doesn't come from my heart. It comes from God's heart. We need both in our life. Sacrifice and obedience. God wants us to, to say, hey God, you, you're, not, you're not requiring this of me. You're not telling me to do this, but I want to do it for you. And if, if I... If I do this for you for a while and you say, hey, son, you, can, you, you don't have to do that anymore, then, then that's okay. But it's me offering a sacrifice to God. It's a gift. Amen? I remember when David was looking for a, a, to buy some property so that he could build an altar to God. 
one, I can't think of the man's name. It was probably a strange name. I can't can't think of it. He heard that David was searching for this prime piece of land. And he's like, oh, I'll just give it to you. You're the king. You can have the land. You can have the property. And David goes, no, I cannot. I can't offer God something that didn't cost me anything. I can't build an offering, a sacrifice to God that, that was free. It was leftovers. It was a gift. It was inherited. I have to give him something that I, that I purchased for him, that I paid for. So God wants us to know, are you, are you willing to sacrifice for me? And you've got to be careful there too because it's not about how much you sacrifice for God. Because that second layer is the more, most important one. Sacrifice is great. But remember what happened when Saul offered a sacrifice to God that God didn't want? And he did it outside of obedience. He was like, I can't wait for you anymore, Samuel. You're taking too long. I'm going to go ahead and go in. And I'm going to offer this sacrifice to God anyway because it's my offering unto the Lord. I can't offer an offering to the Lord that contradicts what he told me to do. And that's when he told him, it's 1 Samuel 15, he says, obedience is better than sacrifice. To submit to God is better than all the fat and all the cows and rams and bulls and whatever. You want to know what's really, really interesting in that story? I wish I had the reference here in front of me. But Saul's first introduction to Samuel, he was, he was looking for his, his donkeys had gotten lost. You want to remember the story? And his dad says, Saul, go out and find, find the donkeys. They're, they're, you know, we need to find them. And Saul took one of his servants. They went out and they were looking for the donkeys. They couldn't find them anywhere. The all day had gone by. And they didn't know what they were going to do. And he's like, hey, now, now my dad's not going to be worried about the donkeys. He's going to be worried about me. So let's go back. And the servant goes, you know what? There's a prophet here in town. And God tells him all kinds of secrets and mysteries. I bet he will tell you where the donkeys are. So they go into town. And they, they're like, hey, is Samuel the prophet in town? And this is how Saul is introduced to Samuel. He's not here yet. We're waiting for him. So that we can offer our sacrifice. And we won't eat this, this, this celebration feast until Samuel gets here. And when he gets here, we will all eat. We have to wait for him. This is how Saul is introduced to Samuel. Go back and read it. It's a beautiful story. So Samuel's first introduction was to, to Saul. Saul's first introduction to Samuel was, you have to wait for him. And that came up later. And he didn't wait for him. A lesson that he learned in the first few seconds of realizing that Samuel was a person on the planet was critical to his obedience later on in his, in his kingdom. And he missed, he missed the point. Totally missed it. Why? Because there was something in his heart that feared what men thought above what God thought. And so his sacrifice came out of disobedience rather than obedience. So here's what I'm trying to say. You can't manipulate God into things by not doing stuff or by doing stuff. You, you, you know, I, I, we grew up for some reason thinking, you know, when a big crisis came that we needed to, to have a specific kind of fast and that fast would make God answer us or whatever it is. And, and I'm all for fasting and all that kind of stuff is important. It's vital. But we don't do it to get God to do something for us. We can't manipulate God. Who do we think we are? We can make God respond a specific way. Right? But sacrifice does please Him. So it's a thin line. It's like, well, how do I know? You can hear his voice. You have his thoughts. Amen? 
Lord, I thank you for all that you're doing. I just pray that you would take this word and the truth of it. I ask that you would build a good foundation in our hearts, that we will begin to live out the fullness of the law. Father, I pray that you begin to speak to hearts now. Begin to transform thinking. best way to end this portion before Matt comes up and we do the specific prayer at the end is we come to the altar. We don't do that a lot. I love the altar. I grew up at the altar. Right? I know we don't have the wooden altars here anymore, but there's plenty of space up here. You felt this tug on your heart during this. I, just come on up. Let's make a place of, of prayer. <clears throat>